0: Chapter 3, Train My Heart to Hear You Daily Decisions How many decisions do you make in a day? By 9 o'clock this morning, I had already made over 20. I stopped counting after that. This is Alyssa with you again and looking at our many daily decisions. There are different kinds. Some can be unprompted, like the time you decide to wake up or the way you walk to class. But other decisions are made in response to something. Your roommate says good morning and you decide to respond by saying good morning back, or you look out your window and see it's raining so you decide to grab your raincoat before walking out the door. Discuss. What's a decision you made today in response to someone or something? Was it a significant decision? What influenced you to make it? Breaking this down further, among our response-related decisions, some involve external things, but others we make as a response to something happening within us, namely our feelings and emotions. That's the focus of this chapter, the decisions we make in response to what is going on in our hearts. How do we decide to respond, for example, when we get a poor grade back from a test? Will we choose to let our stress affect the way we treat others? When good news leaves us feeling hopeful, Will we share the happiness we feel and let our attitude affect those around us in a positive way? When it comes to our emotions and responses, we really do have a choice. Our decisions may feel like knee-jerk reactions, especially when strong and negative emotions are involved. And going back to that bad grade, for example, of course we're going to be off the rest of the day. We don't need to make a decision to be in a bad mood and speak in a sharp tone of voice to our roommates. It just happens, and we can't do much about it, right? Our emotions can feel more like a current that sweeps us up rather than a path we deliberately choose to follow. Ponder this. What's the connection between our emotions and actions? How do our feelings affect our behavior? How does our behavior affect our feelings? There's a lot here, and it's interesting to explore. Are we at the mercy of our emotions, or do we have the ability to control them? It's really both. We aren't completely at their mercy, nor are we totally in control. That said, we do have the responsibility to steward our emotions, and in the end, our hearts. Stephen Covey touches on this in his best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he writes, there's a gap or a space between stimulus and response. The key to both our growth and our happiness is how we use that space. What is my heart? The heart is our hidden center, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2563. When we speak of the heart, we can consider feelings and emotions as that stimuli to which we choose our response. From a Christian understanding, though, the heart is something more than emotion because it touches on the whole of the person, including our interior spiritual life. The heart is our hidden center, the Catechism says, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. When we hear God speak through scripture, as in the previous chapters, we learn that the heart is the center of ourselves, the core of our identity, from Matthew 11.29. The place of deepest connection and closeness with our person from Romans 10:9 The source from which our love flows and to which it returns from Matthew 22:37 Where we keep our dreams from Matthew 6:21 Where we make our decisions from Luke 6:45 Where we understand our experiences from Luke 24:32 where we establish our fundamental attitudes about life and relationships, from Acts 4.32. Wow, the heart is important. It's powerful. And God tells us that our heart is good, from Genesis one thirty one. If it's important, powerful, and good, does that mean whatever comes from our heart is our true self? should we follow our feelings no matter the cost? Many would say yes. The phrase follow your heart isn't just a cliche like some needlepoint sign hanging in your aunt's living room. To many people, it's a guiding principle. Their heart is their infallible guide. As Christians, we take a more careful approach. We know there are hearts are not the source of truth or goodness. Only God is truth. He alone is good, and therefore the one we decide to follow. Our hearts then are at the service of following God. And because they are good, we can find in our hearts the movements of God and discover in time the purposes for which we are made. Ask yourself do I experience these inner tensions? I know that God has made me good, but the desires of my heart are strong and I have so many. I also know that at least some are from him. How do I sort out all the feelings, attractions, impulses, and drives that fill up my heart? How do I know what desires are the right ones? What do I decide to do in response? Discuss your reflections on these questions in your group. How can I know what's in my heart? Truly, we are a mystery to ourselves. The deep places of our hearts are largely unknown to us. That's why scripture says, More torturous than anything is the human heart. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? Only God. And he says, I, the Lord, explore the mind and test the heart, giving to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. From Jeremiah 17, Verses 9 and 10. We can't completely understand ourselves, at least not in this life. Pause for a minute and consider what do you think about that? Do you agree? How does that make you feel? We're not totally hung out to dry here. God wants to help us. Through prayer and reflection, we can better understand the complexity of our hearts. By listening to the one who dwells within, We can know our hearts through him who made our hearts. We've been talking in the last two chapters about how God speaks to us. And in this chapter, we explore the connection between God speaking and how we respond in our hearts. The heart. Three levels. To explore the heart, we need to know more about our emotions. Consider that the heart has different levels and our emotions give us clues to recognize each. This image can help us understand the different workings of our hearts and where those movements come from. In your book, there is a diagram of a heart. It would be helpful to reference this as you're listening to this chapter. Level 1, the surface, feelings. Here we are experiencing passing moods, feelings in the moment. These are not insignificant but they go up and down depending on your immediate circumstances. Usually, you know where they're coming from. For example, you may feel joy on a beautiful day or sadness when you miss your family. They're like the daily weather. Sometimes it's sunny. Sometimes it's rainy. It's often unpredictable. Level two is deeper. These are temperaments. This is where we find more consistent emotional patterns and dispositions. These come more from our personality types, things like being artistic or analytical or social or solitary, our temperament, sanguine, melancholy, etc., our family, ethnic traits, Mediterranean expressive or Scandinavian calm, as well as our genetic hardwiring. They are more inward, so we recognize them by patterns rather than by passing emotions. Going back to the analogy of weather, These are more like the climate of a particular location. They're somewhat variable, but overall are more predictable, like cold Minnesota winters. Level 3 is the deepest. These are spiritual senses. This is the place of interaction between our spiritual inner selves and God, as well as with evil spirits in the form of temptations, etc. This is primarily where we experience spiritual consolations and desolations. St. Ignatius is our guide to understanding these deep movements in our hearts, and at times they come without any clear connection to what's going on around us. Spiritual consolations are defined as when a person is making efforts to grow in the spiritual life, these are characterized by increased love for God, hope, charity towards other, sorrow for sin, interior joy, quiet, peace, movements towards God, a sense of hopeful purpose not self-absorbed. See the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius number 316 for more. Returning to the weather analogy, this is like when Jesus stands up in the boat and says to the storm, be still, and it obeys from Matthew 8, 23 through 27. When God speaks into the depths of our hearts, it can have this kind of immediate effect. Ignatius points out, though, that other emotions may also signal God's voice. For example, encouragement to persevere, urgency to testify, or sadness when we witness injustice in the world. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Matthew 5.4 But the evil one can also speak into this space in our inner heart. And so Ignatius calls them spiritual desolations. These are recognized by darkness of soul, unrest, self-focus, desire for base things, lack of confidence, lack of faith, hope, or love, slothfulness, dryness, sadness, weight, separation from God, thoughts that lead away from God. See the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius number 3.17 for more. Recall a time when you felt inwardly blah to do anything related to God. You didn't want to pray. You didn't want to do mission. You really wanted to do things you knew you shouldn't. These are signs of spiritual desolation. Ignatius counsels perseverance in these times. Don't try to fix a desolation. Stay committed to Christ, especially in prayer, and the desolation will pass. At the core of our hearts, we find the Holy Spirit. Returning to our heart chart, there's a part of our inner life that isn't actually our heart at all. It's God's own life dwelling within us through baptism. And this is the cause of our hope and our peace. If God is with us, in us, who could be against us? From Romans 8.31. It is because God is so radically generous So over the top in his love for us and care for us, that he chose to dwell within his creations. So we can be confident as we navigate the feelings of our hearts and struggle to conform them to our Christian lives. Although we experience difficulty, confusion, desolation, we know that God is for us and that his grace is sufficient for us. These interior movements that come to us as feelings and emotions call for a right response. To receive what is from God or to reject what is not from God, we do have a choice. Discuss Is there anything new you learned from this section? What insights to your own heart and feelings do you have after reading this? Level one Navigating the current. What kinds of feelings do we find at the surface level of our hearts? Delight, wonder, sorrow, sadness, happiness, discouragement, frustration, annoyance, and more. Reflecting on these, we know that they can sometimes be subtle and other times overpowering. They can be positive and comforting or negative and painful. They can urge us forward or paralyze us from any action. Today, we tend to operate at the surface level of emotions and spend a lot of time thinking about them. The people we find in the Bible had a different approach, and we can learn from them. In the Bible, we read about emotions like fear, anger, jealousy, delight, and rejoicing. And our modern minds jump to the conclusion that these describe subjective responses But in Bible times, such emotions, even when experienced inwardly, were directed outwardly to external, objective circumstances. In other words, the focus wasn't how do I feel about this, rather how do I respond to what is real about this? One example is peace. We interpret peace as a feeling of calmness, free from worry or anxiety. The biblical notion of peace is about well-ordered relationships. It's not about feeling good, it's about being good. That is, in right relationship with God. So it's an external, objective condition rather than a subjective, internal feeling. Likewise, love is not so much about attraction, affection, or desire, it's a positive decision to want the good for another. Jesus doesn't base his love for us on feelings. Rather in his humanity, he chose in love to die for us on the cross. This, despite his stated desire, take this cup away from me, Father," from Luke 22:42. This isn't to say that people in the Bible are without emotion. Jesus wept. Peter raged. Zacchaeus delighted. And John the Baptist leapt for joy in his mother's womb. And what about the Psalms? (laughs) Can anybody doubt that David had emotion? But here's the difference for us, we tend to define our days by how we feel. But that wasn't the case for them. The people of the Bible didn't define their reality by what they felt, what they felt was a response to their reality. From Jesus, Peter, David, Mary, Ruth, and others, we learn that it's possible for our emotions to serve the good. For example, do we decide to become friends with someone based on his or her positive qualities or simply because we feel an emotional connection? There's nothing wrong with good feelings, but do we let those lead? What about the major we choose or the next job we take? Are our feelings the determining factor? Even our experience of faith can focus on our feelings. Did I feel God's presence at that prayer meeting at Mass in my prayer time? We don't ignore these feelings, but the point is we also don't need to be preoccupied with them. We acknowledge our emotional reactions and bring them to prayer, especially if they're troubling to us. Consider guilt, for example. When we feel guilty, it's important to consider where that's coming from. There may, in fact, be some wrongdoing on our consciences. But if we've repented of our sin and have received the sacrament of reconciliation, we no longer need to feel guilt. So what if we still feel guilty? We can't force ourselves not to feel something, but we can avoid fueling the false guilt by deciding not to focus on it. It's better to focus on the truth of your forgiveness. Discuss. What do you think about the comparison about modern-day relation to feelings versus biblical times? Are there certain emotions that seem to sweep me up more than others? How can I be more prepared to navigate them? Level 2 handling the undercurrents. Below the surface level of feelings, we find another layer in our hearts where emotional patterns are more consistent. Optimistic or pessimistic, confrontational or conciliatory, unemotional or quick to cry, sanguine, melancholic, ENTP, INFJ, Temperaments is a term that we use here to cover a wide range of deeper, affective patterns woven into our personality. Many popular tests can help us to understand ourselves better in those areas, but that's not our purpose here. Instead, we ask, Lord, how do you want me to relate to my temperaments? While self-knowledge is good, we place everything at the service of love. Jesus says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Matthew 37:39. Too much self-analysis can lead us to be self-centered. Healthy understandings of our feelings and our dispositions remains balanced when we keep our eyes on Christ, pursuing Christian maturity. And generously serving others. So, what does this look like? Fundamentally, it means we don't make our dispositions into excuses. Say you tend to be emotionally expressive. Crying over the loss of a friend is appropriate, but sulking in self pity over a stolen laptop isn't. It's just the way I am. What about anger? Righteous anger that motivates us to speak truth and love is good. Road rage or hitting someone in the face is not. Knowing our temperaments can help us anticipate and alleviate our reactions, not rationalize them away. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, he is the Lord of our emotions and feelings too. That means he wants to help us navigate these deeper patterns, Again, it's not about our emotional responses. Usually we can't control these, but our response to our emotions. With prayer and practice, we can relearn the ways we relate to feelings and temperaments. As a priest once told me in confession, our emotions should serve us, not the other way around. Discuss. What could it look like for your emotions to serve you and your walk with Christ? Traveling the Deliberate Path If our emotions are the sweeping current, a commitment to following God is our deliberate path. Our emotions come with us on the way. They can inform and support our decisions, but they don't direct our actions. There are a few keys to making sure our emotions serve us as we travel the path. One, focus attention on the Lord's power and His love. Recognize that our emotional struggles often indicate an incomplete response to God's gift of love. We can turn to Him and ask for His help. Part of this is calling sin, sin, and repenting of it. Like refusing to write it off as part of our personality. I'm just not a morning person when we're rude or irritable or saying I'm just direct when we're really angry or I'm just free spirited when we're consistently disrespecting others by our tardiness. Rather than rationalizing away or being defensive about those ingrained emotions, turn to Christ, our loving and merciful God and pray for the grace and strength to change. The more we seek to live a life in the Holy Spirit, the more we can live in the character of Christ. God says, after all, I will give you a new heart. From Ezekiel 36, 26. It is Christ now who lives within us. Paul says in Galatians two twenty that it is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Our nature without Christ will incline us only to act on how we feel, but our relationship with Christ gives us freedom to choose the good. Two, recognize the places where we need hope and healing. We've talked about how emotions can be good, but what about those experiences and emotions that drive us to evil actions? We've all experienced what St. Paul describes. I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want, from Romans 7.19. What if I told you that God might have freedom for us to not get totally triggered by things? When loneliness drives us to lust, or helplessness leads us into anger over and over again, and we feel there's no way out? We still have a choice in how we respond, and in Christ we can choose to hope. Jesus, what would it look like for me to be peaceful and hopeful in temptation and trial? Help me believe that this is possible for me, and not just for the really holy people I know. Negative emotional patterns may also point to past hurts. In my own experience, God has used intense emotional reactions to help me identify an area that I need his healing. So when something small sparks a strong response, like an inconsiderate remark that you're still fuming about weeks later, bring it to prayer. The Lord may lead you to recall a memory and some deeper anger stirring within your heart. He wants to bring healing and truth there. Do you believe this? If you're recognizing some patterns of negative emotions, I encourage you to reach out to someone you trust that's familiar with praying for healing. This might be a priest, a religious brother, a sister, a missionary, a pastoral leader, etc. Seeking additional support as needed. In describing deeper emotional patterns, I have purposely not talked about clinical depression, anxiety, or other mental health issues. This is not because they aren't important, but because they're very important. The principles outlined above are helpful to everyone, whether you struggle with clinical and mental health needs or not, but there may come a time when you need additional support. A holistic approach to healing can include a trustworthy Catholic or Christian counselor, group therapy, or prescribed medications, to name a few. Such avenues of healing can be extremely helpful in the path of discipleship. Freedom of a formed heart. I will run the way of your commands. You give freedom to my heart. From Psalm one, nineteen, thirty-two. We usually think of freedom as doing what we please rather than what pleases God. We focus on freedom from responsibility, obligations, etc. Rather than freedom for becoming fully who God made us to be. And when our hearts are formed by truth, the truth of who God is and who he says we are, we experience freedom for the abundant life promised by Jesus. Our emotions can come and go, but with the right kind of freedom, we respond to them confidently in God's truth. It's no longer about what we feel, but what we choose. Is this right or wrong? Is it loving or unloving? A huge step to freedom is resolving in every situation to choose what God wants. Then we can treat emotions that support us in righteous living as helpful and those that don't as unreliable. Discuss. How can I choose and practice this kind of freedom in my daily life? Level three deep is calling on deep. Many have found St. Ignatius' spiritual principles to be helpful in understanding how God speaks in the deepest places of our hearts, designated as level three in our diagram above. The Spanish saint discovered that the good spirit, really the Holy Spirit, could indicate God's presence and his will through the emotions From years of reflection, Ignatius developed a body of wisdom calling it Rules for Discernment and used it effectively to discern what are and are not God's authentic movements in the heart, the good to receive them and the bad to reject them. St. Ignatius lays out guidelines, aka the rules, for discerning the voice of God, some of which are paraphrased here. Rule number one. In a person who is not following God and doesn't seek to live without sin, the enemy works by tempting them with apparent pleasures that will lead to vice and sin. God, the good spirit, works in the opposite way. Ignatius says he may bring about stinging and biting in their consciences. Think of this when someone says they have peace about a decision to disobey God. Once a person turns away from the Lord, Ignatius notes that consolation and desolation work in reverse. The person feels comfortable with wrongdoing, but distressed when reminded of what's right. Rule number two. In a person who is following God and who is seeking to avoid sin in their lives, hopefully that's us, the enemy works by saddening, discouraging, and putting obstacles before the person. The Lord gives courage, strength, and consolations so that the person may move forward in living the Christian life. Think of this if you find it especially hard to get out of bed for Sunday Mass. Rule number three, spiritual consolation. We've already seen this defined, but here it's helpful to note that we're not talking about natural consolations, like feeling happy on a sunny day. Spiritual consolation comes from God and leads us back to God. We feel an interior movement of the soul where the heart is inflamed with love for God. In rule number four, spiritual desolation, which I defined above, occurs when there is a disturbance in the soul and a movement to low and earthly things. So don't let it rattle you when you feel a lack of confidence, hope, love, and joy or even totally separated from God. Stay faithful and God will see you through. Notice that this wisdom about spiritual consolations can be applied to our practice of lectio divina. When we read and meditate on a scripture passage, we can take stock of what's going on inside. Is there a thought or image that stirs up peace or joy which moves us to love God more deeply? If so, stay with that thought or image and ask God what more he wants to show you. From these rules, we also learn that we don't, quote, discern something contrary to God's law. That's why knowing who God is in scripture helps us to know what he's really saying. So even if we feel spiritual consolations after praying about whether to cheat on a test, for example, that doesn't mean it's God's will. It means we're tracking with that person described in rule number one, which is not a good place to be. As in the previous chapter, I'll conclude with a specific application for hearing God, this time with the heart. It's called the prayer of examine. The steps of the examine allow us to see more clearly how God or the forces opposed to the work of God, that is the devil, the world, and the flesh, were operative in our day. With practice, this prayer helps us to grow an awareness of God's action in the depths of our heart, to notice our responses to His movement, and to become aware of the subtle deceptions of the enemy who seeks to lead us away from God. I encourage you who are listening to the audio of this book to grab your booklet and to bring the prayer of examine to your prayer time. The five steps of the prayer of examine. Begin by taking a moment to imagine how God sees you, placing yourself in his loving presence. This emphasizes the relational aspect of the examine. One, start with thanksgiving. For your life in God, for the events of the day, name some of these. Next, the petition for light. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring light, that you would see what He wants you to see. Then review God's presence and absence. Look over the major experiences of your day and your responses to them. Don't try to go over every minute of the day, but take your time and rely on the Holy Spirit to enlighten your memory. Focus on one or two experiences that stand out. What interior moods, feelings, urges, reactions, emotions, and or thought patterns are associated with these experiences? Consider, are these effective movements and or thoughts from God or that lead towards God? Are these effective movements and or thoughts not from God or lead away from God? In particular, a look for spiritual consolations and desolations. How have these interior movements affected your actions? Have your responses been led by the Holy Spirit? Next, make a personal response. Ask that he might continue to show you his love and allow you to be effectively His witness in your present circumstances and in the future, no matter what trials may arise. In times of spiritual desolation, cling to the truth of the Trinity's love for you and care for you. Pray against any particular sense of desolation. If you can see the root, consider some appropriate action and resolve to do it. If you've been neglectful or sinful in any way, ask for forgiveness. Ask for the help needed and patience so that this desolation may not influence your daily decisions and responses to your present circumstances. In times of spiritual consolation, thank God for his blessings, acknowledging that they're gifts from him. And lastly, look forward. Here Ignatius advises us to make a resolution. What can you learn from your experiences? Anticipate situations that may be difficult and pray for the grace needed. Some things to remember. The prayer of examine is like a bank account. It builds by your investment. Much self-knowledge may be gained by noticing patterns that recur in your examine. Use your experience to get perspective for particular issues in your spiritual life. The prayer of the examine is like the practice field. Once a day is okay for starters, but if you play to win, pray it twice a day, midday and evening. The prayer of the examine is like learning the guitar. You can pick it up fairly easily, but if you want lasting spiritual growth, it will take time and practice to learn how to do it well. The prayer of the examine is like the Olympics. You probably won't get there without a good coach. It's helpful to review your practice of the examine with a spiritual mentor. Especially someone familiar with Ignatian spirituality. Discussion questions What would it look like for me to decide and respond to the emotions I experience throughout the day rather than letting them have the final say? We've grown up with the popular belief that the only way to be true to ourselves is to follow our feelings. What's true about this? What's false? Discuss common emotions we feel. Desire, anger, sadness, guilt, etc. How can they motivate us to do good? How might these be of a service to us and to God? What are some emotions that are unhelpful to our walk with Christ? And what can we do about those?